0: hello everyone welcome back and if you're new here thank you for joining in this is pov cinematics with Banton. I am Bantin Wadi and this is the podcast episode number four. I am so excited for what I have in store today, so sit tight and let's get started. Hey there. Don't forget to subscribe to POV Cinematics with Bamton wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to visit bamton.com slash podcast to find your podcast there. Also, follow Bamton Films on Instagram for updates, soundbites, and much more. You don't want to miss a thing. So last week, I asked listeners... And followers to ask me questions, so I would answer on this episode. So I want to start by answering them, which I am excited. All right. Question number one I have here is movie genre I enjoy. Literally, that was just a question. Movie genre you enjoy. So is this movie genre I enjoy watching or writing? Anyway, um, I'm I'm gonna answer both. Um, <laughs> so for watching and writing i would say i enjoy psychological thrillers a psychological thriller is a subgenre of thriller these are movies with psychological narratives in a thriller or thrilling setting that's psychological thrillers um some of my favorite directors in this genre would be david fincher most of david fincher movies definitely have elements of psychological thrillers in them like seven gun girl and so on and then jordan peele is another person jordan peele wrote and directed get out as well as us amongst many other movies and these are psychological thrillers as well and david fincher and jordan peele are really examples of like maybe more recent psychological thriller film directors but i would say one of the earliest psychological film directors would be alfred hitchcock have you all ever watched psycho yeah psycho is literally the face of psychological thriller (laughs) if you if you want to watch a movie if you like want to have a feel of a movie in that genre Another movie in this genre that I have watched in the past and I really enjoyed is Silence of the Lambs. I believe Silence of the Lambs was released in 1991 or so. So that's a really, that's another really good movie in that genre. Um, I also enjoy all this kind of like mystery, suspense, those kind of vibes. Well, even I myself, I've made Movies with elements of psychological thrillers an example or a few examples would be murder of Maya murder of Maya is a movie About a college student who was murdered There was just like a whole investigation about the whole situation Um, if I haven't released the movie, I might release it one of these days (laughs) and then a piece of me a piece of me is probably one of my favorite favorite movies that i actually wrote and directed in this genre it's a story that followed the lives of three people and how they were all interconnected with each other and then there's memorial day memorial day is about this kid who lost his father when he was younger and now that he's older he has questions and his mother is his number one go-to person quite an interesting story and There is like a whole... I might do a whole episode in regards to this Memorial Day disaster and everything with it. I have to literally remake this movie. next is aubrey aubrey is probably the latest one i have written in this genre aubrey is about a little girl's name is aubrey she was kidnapped and the whole point of kidnapping i was to try and get her into child trafficking but it didn't work it's a good movie it's on youtube you should watch it and then i have an unreleased TV series, actually, that I wrote. It was inspired by Aubrey. It's titled Menace. It's definitely, uh, again, it's a series. So it has that mystery, suspense, thriller, genre, all at once, all in one place, and definitely elements of psychological thriller. Menace is one of those series that I am really taking my time to write because I am submitting it to like different networks to work with them on releasing it. Okay, so that's that for psychological thrillers. Another genre I really enjoyed this one, I actually enjoy writing, is epic historical fiction. Epic historical fiction is a genre that cre- is like, how do I put it? Fictional stories are created around historical events, if that makes sense. A good example of epic historical fiction would be Titanic. We all know Titanic happened in real life. In fact, it was in the news recently and there's like umpteen documentaries about Titanic. But the most popular reference to Titanic is the 1997 movie directed by James Cameron. Um, We all know that Titanic actually happened, but Jack and Rose was just a fiction. Jack and Rose did not happen. So that's an example of an epic historical fiction. I wrote Eyes of a Slave in that genre, the feature is still in the works, so hopefully very soon we will see it in movie theaters. So that is that for question one. All right, what do we have next? Question two, black and white or colored film? Like which one do I prefer? um let's see okay i mean colored film kind of like relates to present day i don't know how to explain it but like when you're watching a colored movie it kind of like relates to your environment because your environment is not black and white right but um black and white at the same time is less distracting it's easier to concentrate on the subject and emotionally attached to them I mean, not to say that colored is not good enough, but black and white is more organic in that area. You know what I mean? Actually, my very first project in film school was in black and white. It was a really exciting experience, to be honest, because... It was black and white and it was silent. There was no sound. It was really giving me 1920s, 1930s vibe because that was what filmmaking was at the time. It was just complete silence and it was in black and white. So it just really felt like I was Charlie Chaplin. and also i have a blog on my website banting.com where i write once in a while here and there and i actually wrote an article about the power of black and white in film you can check it out and read more about it there question number three let's see what made you decide to go to film school Hmm. That's a good question. I like that, actually. I think it was in 2015, I started thinking of what I wanted to do after college. And I realized that I didn't want to go to some public research university or something for my master's because I know that filmmaking wouldn't be, literally, filmmaking in that in a school like that would just be more like, yeah, we just have this course here, you know what I mean? And that's actually one of the reasons why I did not go to University of Manitoba. I got into both University of Manitoba and University of Winnipeg, but when I was researching, I realized that University of Manitoba is more of a research school. Like they have an amazing medical faculty, law faculty, nursing faculty, business faculty, but film studies in the school is more theoretical why because university of manitoba is more of a research school so they do like great research with like microbiology and physics and chemistry and all this stuff but filmmaking is like just a small department in the school right and i chose to go to university of winnipeg because university of winnipeg has a more hands-on program in filmmaking And that was kind of like what I was also considering when I was thinking of what to do after film school. Because I didn't want to go to like a prominent school. Let's say I go to like University of Toronto because it's like it's E of T, you know, or UBC. That's University of British Columbia for master's in filmmaking, knowing that the schools are not really big on that program. So that was when I started narrowing down my options and decided, okay. I want to go to film school, even if I want to do masters, a master's degree, let me do it in a film school that their primary priority is film. So that was how I ended up um, with the idea of going to film school. And when I started my final year, I was actually taking the film honors class, which by the way, only 12 to 15 people get in in a year. So. When I got into that class, I felt really smart and that kind of like boosted my confidence to really research more on going to film school. And when I spoke with my instructor at the time, Rick Skeen, he's a Hollywood stunt actor as well. I asked him about if film school was a smart choice. And he honestly told me that it depends on the program and how long and what school I was going to, which was also the same thing I was considering. So again, I was really hell bent on like, I don't want to go to a school just because of the name, when my program of interest is trash in that school, like it's not good enough in the school. So I started looking up film schools in Canada at first, because obviously I was in Canada at the time. I started looking at Toronto Film School, Vancouver Film School, Emily Carr, Capilano, all of those places and I somehow landed in I somehow landed on the website of New York Film Academy and I started looking up and seeing everything they're doing and their website has this page where you can book to speak with someone so, I randomly did that and I started speaking with this person. I'm not even going to call her name because she doesn't work there anymore. Yeah, so one thing I really liked about NYFA was the fact that even though it's a for profit school, they weren't really trying to shove the school down my throat. So, this person was just like, What are you interested in? What are you looking to do? and stuff like that. And she explained the programs available in regards to like in line of what I wanted to do what they do at NYFA is almost like Apple Store because I've worked for Apple before and essentially let's say when you go to an Apple Store they're not trying to sell a product to you they're not trying to force you to buy a product they just would explain the product to you and according to your needs you make your own judgment That was how NYFA was to me. There's no pressure on sales or whatever. So when I heard about the school, I really liked what I was being told. And I also liked what I saw when I did my research. So my next step was to tell my parents about it. I spoke with my mom and my mom was like, well, if it's something you really want to do, talk to your dad and i told my dad about it now let me tell you one thing about my father he would do his research okay he also researched the school he looked it up and he was all game for naifa matter of fact i remembered when i was applying to naifa it was literally my dad that reminded me have you applied to this school already and i was like oh okay um sure i will apply okay and I applied. Now here's the thing: when I applied to Nifa, I remembered it was my last day of classes, and I went up to the school library. I literally submitted all my application, and I think I left the library at around maybe 4 p.m. and then I went home. I was home by like I don't know before five, and by 6 p.m. 6:30 ish. I literally got an email for my tuition invoice and like all my starter package. And I was so confused. I was like, what is this? So I called admissions advisor. I'm like, I don't understand. Why am I getting a starter package? I literally just submitted my application and stuff. I was just like, oh yeah, if you got that, then that means you got in. I was like, what? She's like, yeah. And you're just going to get your official letter of admission in about 30 days. I was like, oh, okay, wow. And that was on a Friday. And then on a Monday afternoon, I got that letter. I was really surprised by how fast my application went through NYFA. And I thought that was the norm, to be honest. I really thought that was the norm until I got into the school and I was talking to some of my classmates. And one of my classmates was like, When she put in her application, she got a response four months later. She, like, at some point even gave up. She's like, yeah, these people are not going to admit me because it's been four months. And I was like, I got it in, like, two hours. (laughs) But, yeah, that's, like, my little admissions testimony. But, yeah, what made me decide to go to film school, honestly, was just the fact that I really wanted to do something hands-on with filmmaking. And the truth is that if you want to go to a film school, you have to do your proper research because film schools are expensive. And if you go to a film school that doesn't give you much, you would end up regretting it and, you know, spending all that money and you regret it. So I went to film school because I really wanted more hands-on experience. And, you know, thanks to my parents, they were all game for naifa and my dad actually went to naifa he had like a whole tour of naifa because he really loves that school all right so these are the questions i got for this week and i absolutely love this question and answer section i think we should do this more often i will add that to the bamteen.com website you can always go there if you want to ask me a question you can shoot me a dm on instagram um, my personal Instagram account is Bamteen, BAMTYN or BAMTYN Films. You can always send me questions there and I will be more than happy to answer them. Hey there. Don't forget to subscribe to POV Cinematics with Bampton wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to visit bamton.com slash podcast to find your podcast there. Also, follow Bampton Films on Instagram for updates, soundbites, and much more. You don't want to miss a thing. Okay, so for today's topic... First of all, I wanna give a shout out to everyone that has been tuning in. I have been very receptive of your feedbacks. I really appreciate you guys. You have no idea. Like when I started this podcast, I was kinda like worried that i may get too technical as far as filmmaking and probably be disconnected with my listeners but that's actually not the case i literally have people dming me and like oh i absolutely love this episode or i love anyway thank you guys i really appreciate it and today's topic or what i'm going to be sharing with you all today is actually off of an idea that i got as a feedback from a listener and when this idea was initiated i really liked it and i was like why not now if you used to follow my facebook account you'd see that a few years back at the end of the year i would make list of books i read that year and movies i watched So when I got this feedback from one of my listeners, I was like, why won't I incorporate this here? So here it is. I have decided that at the beginning of every month, I will make a monthly watch list of movies I recommend. I'm so excited about this. So let's get started. Okay, so July movie watch list. The very first one I have on my list is Eyes of a Slave. It's a twenty twenty movie written and directed by yours truly, me, Bampton Wade. The genre is epic historical fiction. Eyes of a Slave is a story about two slaves in Africa who were intended to be taken to the New World and they were made to believe that in the New World they are going to work for a while and then get settled by their masters and live a good life. So even though they were going through a really tough time in that period, they were anticipating better days in the future. That is what Eyes of a Slave this is the short film. That's what it's all about, right? Now the backstory of this movie is that I started writing Eyes of a Slave right after film school. And for me, I wanted to integrate my degree into this. So if you don't know, I graduated with a double major degree in filmmaking and history from the University of Winnipeg. I wanted to integrate history and storytelling into one and what better topic than to talk of slave trade from Africa's perspective because every time we watch movies about slavery it's always from the western perspective and I wanted to do something that was different so that was how eyes of a slave was birthed when I wrote the first draft i remembered i was like okay now i have something let me go for consultation and i went to my dearest teacher jim pastenark god rest his soul he saw my first draft and he kind of like saw my story break down and all of that he was like this is really good content it is really really good content however you're giving way too much information i understand that this is a story that you're passionate about telling and it seems like you have intense knowledge on this topic but you're giving way too much information and by the time you're done writing this story to the last page where you put the final dot on the paper you would probably have about five hours worth of story now, you don't want to be too confident in making a story into part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, whatever, when you're not even sure of what part one will come out to be. This was what he was telling me. And this is why I absolutely loved to Pasternak. I still do to this day because he would literally honestly tell you how it is, but like in the most loving way. So he told me, he said, you will have to be less explanatory in your story. You have to always, and this was something he always told us in directing class. You know this Jemima, I told you, you always have to give room for your audience to feel like they are smart. So you don't explain everything, you let them figure it out. So I definitely took that advice and he gave me like a list of books I should go and read in the library. There was a particular book, he gave me the title and told me the pages I should go and read in the library. So I went to the school library and again, once an IFA student, always an IFA student. Even though I had graduated, I still had access. I went to the library, borrowed these books, read, and I was charged up for second draft. So when I started writing the second draft, it was a whole other concept, which was very different from the way the first draft was written. And it actually made it easier for me to take this my five hour worth of story to like two and a half hours. So in the course of making the second draft, I had to get rid of some scenes from the first draft. I started doing away with those scenes and they were about maybe nine or 10 scenes. Anyway, I wrote the second draft. I really, really loved it. And I still had the scenes from the first draft. One day I opened up my screenwriting, the software I use for screenwriting. So I was going through the scenes I got rid of from the first draft and I was just looking at it for like 10 whole minutes. I was just staring and I was like, hold up, there's nothing wrong with the scenes. I just don't need them for the story, but it's not like they're bad scenes or anything. So I started putting them together. I started like literally reconstructing the script and everything and that was how we had the short film so the short film is made up of my deleted scenes from my first draft also the opening shot was done okay here's the thing the movie itself was shot in downey california um el matador state beach in malibu california and aguara hills in california but the opening scene itself was shot in my hometown of Jos, Plateau State. And all the costumes, everything, they were literally all sewn in Nigeria, the jewelry, all of that stuff. It was my little sister that actually made those. So they were like sent to me from Nigeria with the opening scene. When I dumped it into my editing software, the way it integrated with the remaining story, I was so happy. I was so glad. And of course, as you might have already known by now, Eyes of a Slave is a multi-award winning movie. So it's like one of those works of my hands that I am super proud of. So i hope you guys get to watch it you can actually find the movie itself on youtube and i will add the link in the description of this episode next we have girl with the dragon tattoo girl with the dragon tattoo is a 2011 movie written by steven zelian and directed by david fincher it is based on the girl with the dragon tattoo novel by stieg larson and it's a mystery thriller genre with elements of psychological thriller because obviously the david fincher directed the movie (laughs) all right so the movie is about a disgraced financial reporter who finds a chance to redeem his honor after being hired by a wealthy swedish industrialist to solve the 40 year old mystery around his niece's murder And this wealthy guy believes that his niece was murdered by a family member of his own. So eventually joining him on this, what I would say, dangerous quest would be Lisbeth Salander, who is also an investigator and her trust is not easily won because in the course of the film, you'll see she had been through some things and she really is the girl with the dragon tattoo i am trying so hard to literally not download the whole movie so i don't want to like give it away too much but i also want y'all to really really enjoy the movie so the movie like i said is based on the novel girl with the dragon tattoo and i think that movie is actually a trilogy It was actually supposed to be 10 novels by Stieg Larsson, but he unfortunately died, I think, in 2004 from a heart attack after writing three of the books. So the books were not even published until after his death, so obviously this movie was written after he had died. And then another thing also I found out about the movie while I was researching is that Scarlett Johansson was meant to play the role of Lisbeth Salander. Apparently, David Fincher thought Scarlett Johansson was too sexy for the role, so he let Rooney Mara do it. Also starring in the film are Daniel Craig, that's our infamous 007, and Christopher Plummer. If you watched Sound of Music, that is the father in Sound of Music, and also, if after you heard the review of knives out you watched knives out daniel craig and christopher Plummer were also in knives out so this is also a really good collaboration for two of them on this movie and you can find the movie on amazon prime for sure but I don't know if you can find it on Netflix because I don't have Netflix, which might be a jaw-dropping surprise for people would be like, you're a filmmaker, you don't have Netflix? <laughs> yeah, I don't have Netflix. When I used to have Netflix, it was there, but I don't know if it's there right now. Okay, so third on our list, we have A Fall from Grace. A Fall from Grace is a 2020 movie written and directed by Tyler Perry, and it's a thriller. That's the movie genre. It's about a woman who is indicted for murdering her husband and her rookie lawyer, who was obviously a public defender, believes that there may be a conspiracy at play which she makes it a mission to unfold. It's a really good movie. It's not your traditional Madea type of Tyler Perry story. And I also think that just looking back, I just think that if... Tyler Perry is not going all the way out doing comedy and Madea stuff. He is really doing more thriller movies. There's this other movie he wrote and directed. I've forgotten the title but it stars Taraji P. Hansen. It's about her struggling with her husband and then right after she divorces him he makes it. When I find that title I'll tell you all about it. It's also like one of those movies. I I think that one is more of a drama to be honest but another thriller type of movie he he has done is temptations this is another of his story that is not media related and it's my second favorite after diary of a mad black woman also this is his first netflix original release and it was the final film before the unfortunate passing of cecily tyson in 2021 the movie is in netflix original so i know for sure that you're gonna find the movie on netflix you should watch it i guarantee you'd enjoy the movie and probably thank me for my recommendation <laughs> hey there don't forget to subscribe to POV Cinematics with Bampton wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to visit bamton.com slash podcast to find your podcast there. Also, follow Bamton Films on Instagram for updates, soundbites, and much more. You don't want to miss a thing. Next, we have South Southpaw is a 2015 movie written by Kurt Sutter and directed by Antoine Foucault. This movie is more of a sports drama, so you're not going to get any thriller, crime, mystery, suspense, none of that. It's a sports drama. So it's about Billy the Great Hope, the reigning junior middleweight boxing champion. He has an impressive career, a loving wife and a daughter, and a lavish lifestyle. Somewhere along the line, tragedy strikes and Billy hits rock bottom, losing his family, his house, his manager. He literally lost everything. And he soon finds an unlikely savior in Tick Willis a former fighter who trains the city's toughest amateur boxers. With his future on the line, Billy fights to reclaim the trust of those he loves the most. It's a really good movie. I remembered actually watching this movie in the theater in 2015 with my friends. We went there on a Tuesday because that's the cheapest day to go watch a movie. Uh, While I was actually researching about this movie, I read that Eminem was supposed to play the role of Billy, the fighter, but conflicts in schedule and stuff like that, so he ended up recording like two tracks and executive producing the album for the movie. It's another good movie, like the movie is a good time. And honestly, another thing again relating to this movie like i don't know what is like a heavyweight champion or a lightweight champion a boxer and also i don't know the difference between what floyd mayweather does israel akinsanya the Usman guy and anthony joshua i don't know if they all do the same thing or they do different things I don't know, but the South is like one of those things that they do. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good movie. I really like it. I think anyone who watches it will actually enjoy it. You can find the movie on Amazon Prime. Now, when I tell you can find a movie on Amazon Prime, it means you don't have to pay like extra to like rent or buy the movie. Or if you have to, I will definitely let you know. I know at one point the movie was on netflix i'm not sure if it's still on netflix if you have netflix you can definitely look it up or watch it on amazon prime okay so the next movie which is the fifth recommendation it's titled nope yep that's the title nope nope is a 20 (laughs) okay nope is a 2022 movie written and directed by jordan peele the genre is more of neo-western and it's also science fiction horror so It's about a man and his sister discovering something sinister in the skies above their California horse ranch, while the owner of a nearby theme park tries to profit from this mysterious phenomenon. Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer starred in the movie, and they really got praised for their performance in the movie. It's a really good movie. When I watched it, I enjoyed it, and the movie has elements of horror. Horror in it, so just brace yourself if you're if you want to watch it. But again, a Jordan Peele horror is always a good horror. When Get Out came out, a lot of people called it horror, and I'm like, what horror? So, anyway, this movie probably took almost 10 years or so. Because one thing about Jordan Peele, he takes his time to produce something that would be worth it. Um, I remembered he said he first thought about Get Out in 2008, and we did not get Get Out till 2017. So this is another of his movies that actually took him years to bring to fruition, and it was totally worth it. When Jordan Peele decided to make Nope a script, he had it with Daniel Kaluuya in mind, and this would be their second collaboration together ever since get out which was released in 2017 to be honest i watched this movie when i was flying somewhere i don't remember i watched it on the plane i think either when i was going to vancouver or outside the country (laughs) i honestly don't remember so i really can't say for sure where you can find nope i don't know if it's on netflix because i don't have netflix but i can tell you that you can buy or rent it on amazon prime if you're looking for something to watch The next July movie recommendation would be a movie titled 22 July, literally 22nd July. It was written and directed by Paul Greengrass. It's a 2018 Netflix original movie and it's based on the novel One of Us, the story of a massacre in Norway. Actually, this movie is based on a real-life event. It's the dramatization of what is known as the deadliest terrorist attack in norway in which a right-wing extremist murders 77 teenage children at a youth camp in 2011 so this actually happened it was like you know when all these kids go away for summer camp and it was their first day there middle of summer they were just reconnecting with their friends from school and stuff like that and this guy comes in and murders 77 of them most of the children were children of politicians or political influencers and stuff like that and they were teenagers for god's sake now here's the thing ever since i started studying filmmaking i am very unfazed by horror films because i could literally create a horror movie in my living room but like yeah i was unfazed by horror films I am able to emotionally detach myself from stuff in movies. But this movie, I actually cried just knowing that this was a situation that actually happened in real life. It was very emotional for me. The genre is a crime drama and the movie is a Netflix original so you can definitely find it on Netflix. I really don't want to give away too much of the movie and I feel like I have already given away way too much but yeah, children of politicians were murdered and it's a real life story. Watch the movie and you'll see his reason behind it and what ended up happening to him. Hey there. Don't forget to subscribe to POV Cinematics with Bampton wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to visit bamton.com slash podcast to find your podcast there. Also, follow Bamton Films on Instagram for updates, soundbites, and much more. You don't want to miss a thing. Next on our list is The Upside. The Upside was written by John Hartmere and directed by Neil Berger. It's actually a remake of the 2011 French film titled The Intouchables. You can find The Intouchables on Netflix if you want to watch that. And the whole movie itself is actually inspired by a true life story of two people in France. So the movie genre, I would say it's drama with elements of comedy in it. It's about Philip who is a wealthy quadriplegic. I always have issues saying that word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who needs a caretaker to help him with his day to day routine in his New York penthouse? So he decides to hire Del. Now Dell is a struggling parolee, he just got released from jail on parole and he's trying to reconnect with his ex and his young son. Despite Dell and Philip coming from two different worlds, they start this unlikely friendship and they rediscover life and live it to the fullest. Basically, that's literally what happened in the movie. Of course, without giving away too much of the story arc or the story structure but you know those are highlights of stuff that happened in the movie so like i said earlier it's based on a true life story and it's the life of a wealthy french aristocrat the movie stars kevin hart in it and honestly i'm recommending this movie because i was very impressed by kevin hart's performance i literally saw a whole other range of acting from kevin hart he wasn't you know usually when you watch a movie with kevin hart in it you already know it's a comedy then upon knowing it's a comedy you're watching like this one and a half or two hours of kevin hart trying extra hard to be too funny like it's exhausting but this movie is not one of those kevin hart did an amazing job he didn't try to be too funny he wasn't exaggerating anything watch the upside it's a good movie you can find the upside i know it used to be on netflix you can also find it on paramount plus if you have a subscription there or you can get it through amazon prime so yeah these are the places you can watch the upside next on the list is Battle on Booker Street. Battle on Booker Street is a 2022 movie written by Funke Akindele and others and it was also directed by Funke Akindele and Toby Mackinde. The genre is drama and the movie is about a lifetime of rivalry between two women and this rivalry is actually generational because it started with their mothers who happen to be the wives of their father They started this rivalry, it was passed down to the children, it was going into the third generation, and the cousins were like, we're not inheriting this thing. And honestly, I would say the resistance from the children, from the third generation to carry over this beef, that kind of like brought the sisters together battle on buka street is a nigerian movie in case i did not say earlier i am going to try and put together movies from different filmmaking industries not just hollywood because if it's a good movie it's a good movie you know what i mean and one thing i always learned about filmmaking is that it's a universal language right you could watch a silent movie and understand the storyline and enjoy it. You could also watch a movie in a whole other language and enjoy it. Battle on Boca Street is a Nigerian movie. It's a Hollywood movie. So there are elements of the movie that is very traditional to african or nigerian culture like a man having more than one wife envy jealousy family drama i think everybody can relate to that these are elements of things you would see in the movie one thing that made me really enjoy this movie is that a lot of times when you watch Nigerian films, they want to make it into that it starts good, things go bad, and then it becomes better. Which we actually get that in Battle on Booker Streets, but you don't see them at the end, you know, kneeling down, crying, begging each other for forgiveness, or hosting a party together. No, that's not how it ended, but you would as an audience it gives you that room to use your intelligence to get how the film ended it more so ended in like actions facial expressions and stuff like that that you would see that they were more in agreement with each other it's it's a really good movie to come from nigeria Also, one thing I also learned about filmmaking is that different industries have different ways of making movies. Like there's the German Expressionism, Russian Montage, French New Wave, Italian Neorealism, things like that. And I cannot see an Italian Neorealism movie and categorize it a poorly made film because it's not like a German Expressionism. Does that make sense? So that's kind of like how nollywood films are nollywood movies are movies that kind of like focus more on the culture like the african culture and what is more so popular in the culture at the time i remembered as a kid a lot of the movies had to do with like witchcraft cultism envy between family members and stuff like that why because honestly that was what was invoked like people would literally go to elementary school and give children candies and before you know it, these children their souls are waking up under the water at like 2 a.m it's real life like it could be funny but it's actually real life it, it, it was happening you would see a father who is doing well he has his family, things are going on good for him, he goes to the village and he never comes back because someone in the village is very jealous and poisons the father, he's dead. It happens. So that's how Nigerian movies are made. I'm just taking my time to make this a point because I know a lot of people are extremely critical of Nigerian storytelling and they keep comparing it with Hollywood. And it's like, Hollywood is different from Nollywood. So, yeah, um Battle on Booker Street is a really good movie. You should watch it. I recommend. Also, it was the directing debut for Toby Mackinday. Now, if you've watched Jennifer's Diary, which is a series created and starring Funke Akindele, who was also a director on this movie, you know Toby McInday as Timini HarPA. Just watching this movie for me, just knowing how Toby McInday started as an actor and now he's a movie director, just seeing that growth in his career is very impressive. And a directorial debut with a movie like Battle on Boca Street. Y'all, like, I'm not even gonna say much, just go watch it. You can actually find it on Amazon Prime Video the ninth movie recommendation for the month of july would be riches riches is a series created by Abi ajayi it's a british drama series and it's also a prime original so you will definitely find it on prime videos it was released in 2022 It's about Steven Richards, a self-made man who has built a cosmetics empire and he became a strong advocate for Black-owned businesses in the UK. After he has a heart attack, there is a fight to control his empire. family secrets are out there and honestly i don't even think his second wife was mourning him she was just more so worried about the riches she could get from the empire but yeah it's a really good tv series i watched it i think like three times and i don't really like recommending tv series for people to watch because i wanted to have like six seasons five seasons something to binge watch but riches is so good i couldn't help but add it to this list totally watch it again it's like six episodes just a heads up though when you're done watching it you will definitely want more so (laughs) brace yourselves for that impact hey there don't forget to subscribe to POV Cinematics with Bampton wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to visit bamptoncom slash podcast to find your podcast there. Also, follow Bamton Films on Instagram for updates, soundbites, and much more. You don't want to miss a thing. Next on our list is Jaws. Jaws is a 1975 movie written by peter benchley and carl gottlieb it's based on the novel jaws by peter benchley jaws i would say is a thriller with elements of horror in it and it was directed by steven spielberg it's about sharks long story short it's about sharks you should totally watch this movie something about jaws is that it's timeless Jaws made a lot of historical debut. It's one of those movies that it made history on almost every aspect of it. Jaws is one of those movies that I had to watch in film school for a multitude of reasons. Like, if I watched it today because my directing instructor was like, go and study Steven Spielberg Warners, Tomorrow, I'm probably watching it for sound and making a presentation in class on why the sound in the movie was an element to the story's narrative. Oh, my editing instructor in film school absolutely loved Werner Fields. An interesting fact about this movie is that it was made in the 70s, so it's one of the new Hollywood era's firsts in filmmaking or historically filmmaking has always been broken into different eras and new hollywood era is kind of like what we're still a part of sort of today i mean it's a little bit polished here and there but we're still in that new hollywood era and steven spielberg is one of the directors that is a forefront face of new hollywood era based on the movies he's made and jaws was one of those first movies that was made for this era also when i was in film school literally the lot of universal studios was like my playground the back lot of universal studios is where they make movies for instance desperate housewives was definitely in that place but anyway that's besides the point what i'm trying to say is the sharks that were used in joyce they're still hanging in the back lot of universal studios literally it's hanging above this little pond there and i remembered when I first saw it, I was like, that shark looks awfully familiar. And my friend was like, yeah, that's the shark in Jaws. I'm like the actual shark in Jaws, just like, yep. I was like, damn, I can't believe I'm seeing this in real life. Also the movie was like a box office success. Now I don't like categorizing the success of a movie based on how well it did in the box office. Because a movie that is not really good can also be a box office success. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these superhero movies, I'm not saying they're not good. They're good movies. It's just that it's all the same stories. Somebody has to come and save the day. It's all the same thing. It's a box office success. Dwayne Johnson movies, always a box office success. I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but all I'm saying is that if you see... Dwayne Johnson in a movie you know he's the hero so he just has like this one role that he plays in every movie but no this movie is actually a box office success because it was a low budget film it it cost about 9 million to make it but it made over 475 million dollars in the box office so that is a box office success and actually it was the highest grossing film of all time until Star Wars entered the chat. So yeah, I do recommend Jaws. Jaws was made for like a summertime type of vibe. So this is a really good movie to watch since we're in summer. Okay. Now the 11th film, which is the last on my list. And I saved the last for the best, the best for the last, whatever that saying is. Yeah, this is the best one. (laughs) Pulp Fiction. I love pop Fiction because anything Quentin Tarantino literally puts his hand on turns to gold. It's like it wins an Oscar, it becomes an Oscar dominated movie, it becomes a box office success, like literally any of those. You can look it up in your free time. And in the entirety of Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking career or in his career as a filmmaker, he has probably made like, I don't know, 10 movies, but all 10 movies are phenomenal. Like, whoa. Anyway, Pulp Fiction. I think a few episodes ago I just talked a little bit about Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is an amazing movie. It was released in 1994 and it's a crime drama. Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, is about Vincent Vega, played by John Travolta, and Jules Winfield, played by Samuel L. Jackson. They are hit men with a penchant for philosophical discussions. One of my favorite scenes in this movie was when Samuel L. Jackson was reciting that memory verse from the Book of Ezekiel. I was like, holy shit in this multi-strand crime movie their storyline is really interwoven with those of their boss their boss's wife a struggling boxer and a master fixer one thing i really love about pulp fiction is the fact that this movie did not it broke all the rules okay and one of the major rules it broke was that three-act story structure this movie was probably four acts it's a really good movie especially with the fact that the narrative structure was just it was all out of sequence so go watch it and it's also a really good movie to watch during summer this movie was actually the feature debut so that means it was the first feature length movie that samuel l jackson starred in and it was his first of many collaborations with Quentin Tarantino. A few episodes ago, I talked about collaborations with Quentin Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. They collaborated in like five or six more movies ever since then. Pulp Fiction, I know you can for sure, for sure get it on Amazon Prime Videos, and I think you can get it on Netflix. So these are the recommendations for the July movie watch list. I am very excited and very eager to do this again next month. And of course, let me know your thoughts on this movie's when you watch them and once again i am bamtin wade i look forward to having you guys tune in next week for a new episode of pov cinematics with bamtin don't forget to follow bamtin films on instagram so you don't miss a thing and subscribe to pov cinematics with bamtin wherever you listen to your podcast i'm so excited for you guys to tune in next week so until then take care